0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT related topics. We believe tactics are a science and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprig. And I'm Brent Stratton. In this episode of the Cato Podcast, I sit down with Jack Enter. Jack is a famous author and presenter, well known for his book, Challenging the Law Enforcement Organization. If you haven't had a chance to hear Jack speak, go back to uh, one of our episodes. You can hear an interview with Jack. He is all over the country, helping new uh, law enforcement leaders develop themselves and their organizations. I've asked Jack to come on the podcast because he uh, recently released a new book in 2022. And he released an article about the dangers of going from uh, an operator to a bureaucrat and how it is easy in our profession, based upon its structure and job roles, to lose perspective as a leader. So we discussed his article and things you can do today as you rise through the ranks to not forget where you came from and some of the challenges and things that are missing in our profession that he believes uh, we could restore and actually find ourselves with less problems. And I would like to take a moment to thank two Cato Gold sponsors for supporting the work that Cato does throughout California. Thank you to NAG Industries and Aardvark Tactical. NAG Industries is a premier provider for a variety of government sales products like Vortex Optics, Garmin, Streamlight, and many other brands. From breaching tools and training to the latest in pickleball gear, there's a good chance NAG Industry carries it. Check them out at nagindustries.com. I would also like to thank Ardvark Tactical, who's been a steadfast supporter for many years. While Ardvark is famous for their signature Project 7 Scalable Plate Carrier System, Segin Robot, Low-Key Drone, and Kinetic Breaching Tool, they also offer customized integrated solutions to meet a wide variety of supply needs, such as complete crowd control kits, IED detection, less lethal, and many others. To learn more, check out aardvarktactical.com.
1: Work-life balance is something we all struggle with in our line of work, and especially with the people who listen to this podcast. For those of you who enjoy getting away by spending some time on the lake, casting a line, our podcast sponsor is for you. Cope's Tackle and Rod Shop has been in business since 2015 and carries all of your fishing needs. They are veteran-owned and are proud supporters of Cato and our listeners of the Cato Podcast. Check out their website at tackleandrod.com Enter discount code Cato at checkout and get ten percent off your purchase, and get free shipping on anything over seventy-five dollars. Cato is a nonprofit organization that exists to serve law enforcement so they can train their departments and make their communities safer. One of the ways we do this is through support from businesses like Cope Stack and Rod. So consider supporting businesses that support us.
0: So uh, Jack, enter. Thank you for returning to the Cato podcast. It's been several years uh, since we've had you on. Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks for coming here. We wanted to talk a little bit about what you've been up to since we last saw you and uh, talk about some of the common themes that you're addressing throughout the country. And just so you know, um, this wasn't on purpose, but uh, several of our team leader uh, instructors, commander instructors, or critical incident leadership instructors all carry your book around the state to show folks, you know, we would show books like, Hey, here's a good book. You can read about this. You can read about that. And, uh, I've, I've done that since, uh, I first, uh, had you, you came to our agency and I got your book and I read it every year after I was promoted until I retired and, and, uh, so go oh, wow. through it as a reference, um, because it applies to not just law enforcement, but, uh, f- those folks, uh, aren't familiar, uh, probably your most famous for, uh, Challenging the Law Enforcement Organization, which I've never met anybody that doesn't read your book. And the first thing they say is, man, this guy wrote this book about my agency. And uh, it's unfortunate. Yeah, really. Uh, really. It's unfortunate for you, but fortunate yeah. because uh, there's some great tools in there. So we'll, we don't have to get too deep into that because I think they're all the same principles. And I asked you to come yeah. on and kind of talk about an article you wrote, which is just a uh, Much smaller, uh, lighter version of some of the themes in your book and in your presentations. Believe it or not, we're up to uh, about 50,000 listeners right now. That's a big deal for us, for a couple of guys that started this in uh, their mom's garage, so to speak. So uh, if you could tell us a little bit about your background. And then uh, I'm always curious, how did you end up uh, where you are today? How did you end up traveling around the country trying to uh, help fix the circus and uh, with the same with different clowns? It's the same circus with different clowns every generation and and how uh, we're trying to all push the rock up right. the hill a little
1: bit. I started in law enforcement 50 years ago last summer um, after I got out of college and. To summarize what ended up happening, I had to go in the military because the draft was still in process, did three years in the army, came out and then went in the law enforcement. And in the last 50 years, it's been interesting. I didn't plan any of this out. Uh, It was never my intention to do what I did. But providentially, I got put in positions. Um, I mentioned the military, which also gave me the GI Bill and and. Push me because I had a degree when I went in the army to get graduate school. And, uh, so I, and eventually I was 12 years in academia, uh, which was not a very friendly territory for me. Um, but I enjoyed the students, but I also operationally I have, uh, it was, Um, I came up through the ranks and was brought in as a manager of an agency, had gone through a bunch of growth. And what was interesting, I had been teaching leadership at that point about six or seven years. And the only thing I'd ever done was be a first line supervisor. And so I'm teaching chiefs and captains and majors uh, as a 33 year old. And again, providentially, I was asked to come into this agency It was over 300 people um, and ended up having to practice or learn things from people. And the greatest, one of the greatest learning lessons I had is I was asked or I was commanded by the second in command of the agency to interview everybody in the agency to find out what the issues were. So 300 people I sat across and ask them, what's the best part of working here? What's the worst part of working here? And if a genie gave you three wishes, what would those be? So the point was, that way exceeded anything I learned in PhD program or the master's program, because I got to see not only what they had to say, but the anger and frustration of these men and women. I ended up doing, by the way, nine more agencies I was asked to come in. So in 1,200 interviews, they were all the same. The problem was all the same. Um, and what they were, and, and this is, I think, the key point, is that we, we do a good job operationally. Uh, these are our brothers and sisters. We learn uh, to be part of a mission. We learn uh, to run to the sound of trouble. And we become, we become amazing people uh, who push The me aside and become we people, not again just about the agency, but about our communities. Uh, And that's why you saw on the Outlet Malls thing here in the last two weeks, this officer, without hesitation, while everybody's streaming mall, he runs and engages the shooter. But the point is, That was the best part of working there, the worst part of working there. And I always ask, I said, how long have you been here? And they'd say 12 years or five years. I said, has there ever been a day you don't want to come in? And the answer was yes. And when I asked them why, it was not the danger on the streets. It was always somebody. And that somebody always had a sergeant, lieutenant, captain's name in front of them. And let me... let me say this. Law enforcement has learned to do its job in 50 years because I've not seen the problems change. Law enforcement has learned to do its job in spite of their supervisors and managers. But the stress inside the building is discourages them. What's so crazy about this, though? In those 50 years, I saw the same men and women who complained about their supervisors become supervisors. Something happens. The whole focus of my presentation and women when that memo comes out. Nobody sees it, but them. And that's what my passion is because so many people are being promoted right now. Uh, So many people are leaving and so many people are having to fill in. And and yet we're not seeing, we're seeing, you know, the old expression, you may cuss your daddy, but you're a lot like him. We're seeing the same thing out of new sergeants and new lieutenants and new captains. And so what happens, what's the impact of leadership on an organization? And the bottom line is, in law enforcement, uh, we have a weak leadership legacy. Um, And what is happening is we're continuing, we're training new men and women through ineffective managers, and what will they become? Ineffective managers. Again, modeling is the most powerful form of training. And and this has been um, my concern because um, the drama inside the building is sucking the energy out of the people. Um, And I noticed a huge change when I went from patrol to detectives because I love being on patrol. I never hardly saw a supervisor, but if they were there, it was focused on what this incident was about. How can I help you? And then you get inside the building and you see all this drama Failing to deal with issues, the same pro, you know problems are not being addressed, and it's just uh, it was just not a pleasant time. And and I look forward to being in investigations, but once you get in the building, you see how screwed up things are inside the
0: building. So you have a couple things I think that factor into that. I, I wholeheartedly agree. It's a struggle. One, we we don't purposely train for leadership. No, we we osmosis train like we do a lot of things in. Right. And then we pick people, you can be an excellent street cop, an excellent detective, but the sergeant skills aren't the same. And then lieutenant skills, even different, Mm captain skills or commander and chief, all different skills. And yet, so sometimes we'll take a very good police officer deputy and ruin them. And uh, once in a while, you run into somebody that understands that and doesn't promote because they're like that's not my skill set. Right. And then sometimes you'll see people that are average officers or deputies and they become they go in a leadership role and they're excellent at it because right. it's a it's a different skill set. So I right. I agree and then anecdotally hand, hands down no matter where we are teaching a variety of classes or meeting folks at region reps and stuff look at the majority of stress you get from work does it come from the bad guy now, every once in a while it does come from the bad guy, yeah. right? Like very small percentage where it gets real serious real quick. So not not trying to discount that. Right. But the majority of stress, grinding your teeth, people that drink too much, people that right. fight, all the right. issues that, that we see in our profession come right. from inside. So they're right. self-inflicted wounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It
1: you know, again, I think a leader is a man or woman. Who is first a police officer, and by the way, they're also a lieutenant. They don't change on their care for the people, care for the mission, and care for their communities. When we get a memo and we're in a very cohesive group where we're held accountable, we have men and women around us who tell us the truth, we are focused on a mission. Then, when a memo comes out saying we're now a sergeant, without thinking, we think the problem. We go from we to me, and me is exemplified by, by, by pride. It means to look down on people. The Greek word for pride pictured a man top of the stairs talking down to people. And you've actually used those words, and I've used those words that we think we're superior. The, a person who's prideful think they they are superior, and no one likes that. No one likes being around a person who thinks they're God's gift to law enforcement or they're just the smartest person in the room. And everybody sees it but us. Somebody looking down on somebody, but that person was surrounded by heavy smoke and fog. They were blinded to it and don't see that everybody wants to, you know, hates them because of the way they treat people. And one of the reasons they're blind to that is because we don't hold them accountable for
0: it. Yeah. And I think uh, I love what you have to say about that. And I really liked your article about the dangers of just the the structure and the byproduct of how we promote people creates that. And then Mm -hmm. you sprinkle in a little bit of pride or Mm -hmm. ego because we're, we're saying you're part of this elite group. Um, Maybe we don't use those words, but that's the process, right? And we talk about how sometimes people will say you've changed. Yeah, And you've really changed since you got this sergeant, lieutenant, captain, commander, whatever position it might be, detective even, FTO, whatever it might be, something different. And sometimes they mean... You're different, which hopefully means that you've developed yourself and you're more emotionally intelligent and more smart. But that's not really what we're most of the time we're talking about. We're talking about that change in perspective and what often uh, line level folks will you forgot where you came from. Right. And we and what you see
1: is a man or woman who was trained, had good peer support. Uh, of effective people, they had accountability. And now they're promoted, and they realize I was not prepared for this. I, I don't know how to be a good sergeant. Um, and what are the two reactions to fear? There's actually three. When you don't know what you're doing, you've not been equipped uh, to do this. It's fight. You become very angry, and you you tend to yell at people. Most, I think, most commonly. The actual result is flight behavior because the number one complaint against law enforcement managers is they will not make a decision. They will not deal with the problem, which is striking, uh, Marcus, given that they made decisions on the street without hesitation. Uh, they said, we've got to deal with this. But the reason is we; those people on the street are strangers. The people in the building are people we have to live and work with, and it was interesting that Solomon three thousand years ago said, "The fear of man brings a snare," and what he was saying is, peer pressure can snare you or trap you into caring more about what people think of you than doing what you need to do. And if you've ever, and in Africa, I've seen snared animals; they can't move, they're they are injured very severely, and. And the point is we cannot lead if we care more about what people think about us than rather than doing the job. And what ends up happening is we're paralyzed in fight, flight, and freeze. We're paralyzed from making decisions. And the man who would, or woman who would run down an alley without hesitation after an armed robber won't deal with the problem employee. Um, And when I mentioned in that article we see the evolution of that, that managers, their number one focus every day coming to work is, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. Where the operational is, do your job, protect your people, you know, be a sheepdog. And when they get promoted, they become sheep who are afraid of making a decision. Um, and... I think the higher up you go, the worse it becomes. You become more self-focused and anything that might jeopardize your career, you become, and I hate to be blunt, but you become a spineless coward uh, about doing the hard things. And that's what we saw on Ubalde, Um where instead of running to the sound of the gun in that classroom, he thought about how could this get me in trouble? This is gonna cost me, um, mission is to protect the sheep from the wolves, and that's the danger of not just Uvalde, but we have managers who don't address problem employees. We have managers who don't communicate, and um, and we are continuing to see this. Uh, we have we don't have lead, very many leaders in our law enforcement. Um, environment. And and again, people will do their job in spite of it, but it just sucks the energy right out of people when they come back to the building.
0: Yeah. Do you think part of that's the kind of the structure also that we've created? Because it's very hard, the higher you go in the ranks, to spend time operationally. And once you lose uh, in an emergency situation, even though you have the highest rank, you have the lowest amount of reps. Because yeah. your job doesn't give you the reps. Right, right, and so, right. but then we say you come and make this decision you're responsible for. But 90% of your job is just dealing with those problems. It's not actually practicing the operational decisions that are required of you. It feels like yes. we've built a structure that, right. that hurts that. It's very hard to see hire people in command, stay in touch operationally.
1: Let me, let me address that real quick. One of the most stunning examples, a new chief came in and had a command staff meeting of his higher um, uh, ranks. And he said, listen, I'm the new chief. He said, this is a non-negotiable issue. Every one of you has to show me eight hours on the streets of this city every month. And I don't mean sitting in an office playing on a computer. You've got to, and if you don't have a uniform, you better get one because you're on the streets with eight hours a week. And you're, I mean, eight hours a month, and you better document this. And I'm going to ask the men and women that work for you. Did you see the captain or did you see her? What was interesting? Everybody pitched a fit, everybody pitched a fit. And the guy who was telling me, pitch for forks and torches money. Moment, as soon as the chief walked out, oh, hell with him, we ain't gonna do this. But they knew this was non-negotiable. Within one or two months, when they had command meetings, the most common comments made by these men and women was now, I can't believe how many homeless people we have here. I can't believe how much drugs there are there. But most importantly, this is what they were saying. I can't believe how our officers put up with all this crap and they always do their job. And what it did was brought them back to where they came from. And even though they didn't want to do it, it reminded them of their background, the thing that got them into this profession to begin with. And he said to watch them transformed back to somebody who loves this job. It brought them back to what, and I think, and by the way, I mentioned that I told my grandson why you would wanna be a police officer. Um, and I mentioned that you will have more skills than your peers, but, and I said, you'll have real friends. I said, you'll have friends who are, will stick closer than a brother or sister because they're bonded by this mission. And the other thing that I told him is that you will have experiences that you can't put a price tag on. But being involved in the operational mission, and I said you'll notice, and um, I think we forget this sometime, that when you're at a party and the guy next to you introduces himself as working for State Farm for 25 years, you'll notice that no one in the room goes, that is so awesome, you know, like a good neighbor. Um, but when you tell people that you work in law enforcement, You'll notice that everybody will stop talking, and this is what this job has. It gives, you ex- it gives you stories that people think are the most amazing stories they've ever heard in real life about real people. And you'll notice that they have no stories to counter this with. They can say, well, I made this quarter of a million dollar deal or whatever, but they understand that's not a big deal. But law enforcement is a big deal. It is, and especially in today's culture where people are in deep trouble. The only people that show up are cops. But the point is, when we become managers, if we keep, keep being grounded in that, it, rem- it reminds us of why we came in this to begin with. And the men and women who are doing the mission now, we are part of that instead of above that. And it grounds us back in humility, which means low minded. I'm not special. As I said before, I think the highest compliment you can give a man or woman is that they're a leader, that they're a police officer or deputy who also happens to be a captain. And we want to follow those people because they are out there with us moving, and leader means to go first. And we want to follow those people. We don't want to follow a person that. Has no idea what's going on in the street and micromanages us because we saved a person's life, but we didn't have our hat on when he arrived there. And and unfortunately, it's common everywhere. Even in other countries, I'm hearing the same thing about their law enforcement managers. They become detached and and leave the mission and the men and women that they used to work with, who used to be, uh, like I said, their brothers and sisters. And now I'm the king our queen and you're my subjects and yeah. that is toxic
0: you know you have talked about two things the structure of it where you're handling the administration and the bureaucracy of running the organization just takes the fun out of it right yeah. like it's very you can want to do the best you can for the people you serve and your role is budgeting and meetings and dealing with community complaints and, right and all that stuff but it's not it's not the fun that you used to yeah. have. Right. And uh, as a lieutenant, say for my agency, I would go out on a major incident or a major call and they're like, why are you, why are you smiling? And I'm like, cause this is the best part of my day, man. This is right. as good as it's going to get today. Right. Cause the rest of the day yeah. I'm going to be doing meetings and looking at spreadsheets and asking someone to explain this math to me. Right. right. And so I think structurally it has that a little problem, but you really, I don't think you can overstate this enough uh, and you've been very polite about it, but it's pride and it's pride and ego. And um, you know, a a, a much wiser leader than me once told me as you promote through the ranks, never forget where you came from. Uh, Everybody across the board that uh, has had a version of you need to remain operationally, Intact Now, maybe you're a captain and you don't go out and write tickets, but go ride around with somebody and see right. or those kind of things. But right. they also said, always ask yourself this. Always have your door open when a subordinate or someone comes in to talk to you, but never forget, hmm. why is this person telling me this right now? Hmm. Because it could be for the good of the order, or it right. could be for politics or pushing themselves ahead. Or pushing somebody else down. And you see that's all back to that ego thing. And yeah. I think uh, when you're tasked on a mission serving someone and often it's emergency services, you know, you're providing a service that could go poorly, even just a domestic mm-hmm. violence call <clears throat> right? versus bureaucratic meetings. Right. I think uh, you can lose that ruler or right. that focus. I think we also perform our administrative tasks
1: better. When we are out there involved with them, because it's also focused on that mission and those people, and all of us have seen illogical policies come out that don't make a bit of sense operationally because it is don't do this rather than do your job and um and again um, uh, you know it it's, it's always going to be a battle, and this is why I think the key to this is not only involvement, but accountability. We always have to have men and women in our lives who, I love what the military calls it, and I, they do a much better job than we do. Uh, the military, uh, I asked um, a guy who was commander of special operations, who's now a law enforcement executive, and he said, I am shocked at the difference between the last year in law enforcement and the previous 20 something years in the American military. And I said, why? He said, because um, we in law enforcement do not practice what I saw consistently in the military. And I said, what's that? He said, respectful insubordination. He said, every man and woman that was under my command knew that they had the, the right to respectfully disagree with me and bring me back to reality that their wisdom from the operational level was critical for me. And they constantly kept me grounded back in the mission. And in that this is about them, not about me. He said, we were afraid, but we overcame that with courage to say something to the man or woman above us. And even though no one likes that, it helped them to be better. He said in law enforcement, we're afraid to say something because well, he's a captain or he's a major. And what ends up happening is they continue to be stupid, to be blunt because we didn't tell them they're being stupid. And
0: silence always affirms what they're doing. We wonder why the emperor walks around with new clothes yes. on, right? Yes, right. Like, how'd that happen? Mm-hmm. Like, well, really, it happened because no one like pulled him aside and said, "Hey, man, this is this is not right." right. And right. and you and and you have to build a culture that accepts that, right? And that's kind of yes. going back to focusing on the mission, right? That right. It's not a, we all have a role at whatever rank we are to fulfill the same mission, and so right. that that accountability is accountability to the mission. Right. And, and, you know, the chief has a role, the captain commanders have a role, the lieutenant, the sergeants, the deputies, right. officers, but it's all accountable to the same mission. So absolutely, absolutely. we use accountability as discipline and, and it's not accountability right. is, Hey, look, we're all trying to accomplish this. And it's okay for you and me to disagree. Right. On how to get there. Right. But We all have to be committed right. to where we're going. So good, good kudos for him. Yeah. Uh, you talk a little bit about one of the key ingredients to leadership, is courage. Absolutely. And I know we're running short on time. So right. maybe, maybe if you could just share your thoughts on, uh, on courage and then, uh, where can people learn more about what you're doing? Because you're, I check your calendar a couple of times a year just to kind of see, kind of yeah. see where you're at and you are everywhere, my friend. Yeah.
1: You know why, why I'm everywhere is because the problem has not changed. Uh, and we have a new breed, uh, a new generation of supervisors and managers, and they complain about their sergeants and lieutenants and captains, and they have now become their sergeants, lieutenants and captains. But courage, let me say this. Courage, first off, um, is not a natural behavior. I mean, we self-preservation is, is normal uh, human nature, and we were taught operationally to run to the sound of the gun, And one of the things I remember, and you do too, and all of the listeners, is we never were alone. We did it because we knew we were being backed up. We knew we had to do this. Um, And it is always amazing to me um, the courage that law enforcement does to address issues operationally in their job. The trouble is that when you get promoted, your focus comes from... Doing what you need to do, principle-based decisions to avoiding getting in trouble, and basically everybody sees you're you are more involved in protecting yourself uh, because of your fear of getting in trouble. And before long, um, <laughs> as a friend of mine told the guy, you need to go to Amazon and order a spine, uh, you know, and 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 I will pay for it. I'll give you an Amazon gift card if you will order a spine. And, but when we get promoted, we lose that spine and we don't realize it. And in these simple administrative decisions of not dealing with a problem employee, not dealing with an issue, which is the number one complaint against law enforcement managers, before long, we have a habit pattern in the self preservation, which is normal human nature, that we lose our courage and we don't even see it. And what happens is we go from sheepdog. Uh, which will lit- a sheepdog will literally give their lives for these sheep who don't like them, by the way. Um, and now, without thinking, we have become sheep who are the most—you know—no one ever says a herd of sheep is terrorizing the community. I mean, they're—they're not—they're—they're they're fearful <laughs> creatures. And when I mention that, that when we get promoted. We lose our sheepdog perspective and our courage and we become sheep. Uh, A guy came up to me and said, I work for Lieutenant Bailey and Captain Davis uh, as a joke on that. But the point is, um, we lose our courage and and that's, you have to have courage to be a leader. You have to tell people things they don't want to hear. You have to make hard decisions with people because you care for them and you care for the mission. Um, and we did that operationally, but those were strangers. Now we're inside, not trying to jeopardize, jeopardize our promotion to lieutenant, our promotion to captain. And that's why we get more detaches. we go above. And that's why I mentioned Uvalde was not a surprise um, because this guy had made such a pattern of avoiding anything that might jeopardize his career. And he was a sheep. He wasn't a sheepdog. And the quote I have in the article, which was by Alexander the Great, he said, I would rather have sheep led by a lion, an army of sheep led by a lion than an army of lions led by a sheep. And I hate to say this, but that's law enforcement. We're being led by sheep who have lost their courage. And and I wanna remind you, in context, and I didn't mention this in the article, that on the law enforcement memorial, where men and women have given their lives for this profession, there are lions laying on the memorial. And it's based on Proverbs 28, 1, the evil man flees when no one pursues him, but the righteous are as bold as lions. That we commemorate and hold in high esteem men and women who showed courage that cost them their lives. And yet we have a management culture who is more concerned about their individual safety. And the sheer tragedy of that is beyond comprehension. And all of us know somebody that died in the line of duty. And I think we dishonor their legacy when we have managers who are not willing to show the courage to stand up to city council, to stand up to politicians and say, no, this is wrong, what you're saying. That is not grounded in reality and to show the courage. And will it cost them their job today? Probably. But also, I think that this is what the public ultimately wants us to be. They want us to be lions and sheepdogs. They don't want us to be sheep. And I think, too, uh, it's what makes this job so special. That's why people wanna hear our stories when we go to the high school reunion. They wanna hear stories of courage, real life, that there is evil in the world, but there's somebody who's gonna come when that evil happens and protect the sheep. And if anybody should not be, and let me be honest, that's why I get mad when I certain individuals in this country say the American police purposely try to kill people No one knows the suffering of people in America more so than the police officers and deputies that work these streets. Um, Fentanyl is not something you read about on the internet. Um, Every law enforcement officer understands and think of the statistic that more, that almost as many people died last year to drug overdoses than in combat for America in World War II. Uh, I think it's around 110,000 people die from overdoses and 120 something, 130,000 people died in World War II that were Marines and soldiers. And this is, like I said, but who else is going to show up? And law enforcement does. And I think that will continue to drive them to do their job. But wouldn't it be nice? And this is the way, this is my passion Um, that I would love to see something change. And what I would like to see change is that the managers and stuff go with us instead of are detached from this. And that's where the military is better than us. Uh, Captains still go into combat um, and lead their troops. And you will see not all of them, but a significant percentage of their operational people. A friend of mine, was a over the protection detail for the Marine Corps Commandant years ago, and a reporter said, "So you're the Marine Corps Commandant?" He said, "No, I'm a Marine Corps Rifleman who's currently been assigned to the position of Marine Corps Commandant." He has not forgotten where he comes from. I would love to see law enforcement have that same philosophy.
0: Yeah, uh, wholeheartedly agree. And some of the greatest leaders I've been fortunate enough to meet uh, in this profession have been people like that you know right. still still not afraid to sweep the floor at the end of the meeting yeah. if they need to you know and and some of those principles that i think are embedded and, and there are agencies that have that culture but it's uh, unfortunately it's much more rare we've right. we've allowed and and all the problems you talked about before you go all the problems you talked about are not just rare for law enforcement no. i think they're amplified Everybody. because we're in a service Often life or death industry, right. but it's a, it's an organizational deal at in every profession. Absolutely.
1: Every manager, every person promoted in every organization, civilian or law enforcement, has to be guarded against losing their perspective of what the organization is about and the men and women below them. It is natural for when somebody gets promoted, whether it's at FedEx or um, in the nursing profession or teaching profession. the When you look at the difference between school administrators and teachers, they are dramatically different um, because one's grounded in the mission and the other one is protecting themselves. That's why uh, in the article I called it from um, from Sheep, Sheepdog to bureaucrat. They and and teachers who get promoted become bureaucrats and now administrators. And most of them are have lost touch of teaching the seven year old how to do math. And they forgot the mission. And they're not good people because of that. They've lost their love for what they do.
0: Yeah, great point. What got you into the profession? You you don't lose contact with that, right? Because you'll lose your way, right. Yeah, very true. Well, sir, I I appreciate your time. I know you've got to go soon. And this is just a small, brief conversation about all that you uh, have brought to us. And I want to thank you for what you do for our profession. And anytime I get a chance to hear you talk, and uh, Mm -hmm. I I like to do it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, at the conference this year. Hopefully our schedules work out great. But where can you tell us a little bit where folks can go to see what you're doing? Uh, the website is jackenter.com.
1: Um, it has uh, it has seven podcasts on leadership, which is a summary of my presentation. It has my schedule, where you know what city I'm speaking uh, at. You know, it's just a, a way that you can see what's going on. The book and all that other stuff. You know, again, um, I a guy asked me this. I'm 72 years old. I I tell people I don't buy green bananas. And, um, but uh, one of the guys asked me, said, uh, my friend said, when are you going to retire? And he was interrupted by another friend and he said, uh, you retire to do something you love. He said, Jack loves what he does. And why should he stop? I have to be wiser about how much I'm doing because I'm 72 years old. But the point is, I think my role as an older person, and I have my mentor's 87, and he told me this. He said, as you get older, you find your primary role is reminding the younger ones of what they forget in the drama. Yeah, that's what, a yeah, said, what a great change. He said, things don't change. You just have to bring them back to reality. And he said, because of your experience, you understand what's important, what's not important. And that's your role of speaking truth to the newest generation, uh, that is coming along behind you. And, and I really enjoy doing that. Um, and, uh,
0: I I'm not sure how long. love your message and I don't, I don't disagree at all. I think, uh, you're talking about principle-based stuff and it, and human behavior. So right. it might be a different generation, but the problems are, uh, very often the same. And I, right. and I love that, what a great, what a great mentor. What a great statement, right? Hey, yeah. and, and you're still, the things that you wrote in that book and the things you talk about are as relevant in my life today as they were the first time I picked it up. And every wow. time I read it, um, I was in a different place. And so right. I took something different from it. Right. And it also reminded me um, of just some basic truths about leadership that, right. that I needed to be reminded because I would get sucked into the machine. Absolutely. So (laughs) um, I don't think there's a week that goes by we don't use some of that stuff in your book. So I appreciate that. And I look forward to seeing you again. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catotraining.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcast at Training.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend, and rate us on the platform of your choice.